We're starting to talk about the Christmas story, and the Christmas story is the continuation. It's the continuation of the story started in the Old Testament. And I think sometimes we forget that. It's all one. We, we, we say the words Old Testament, New Testament so much that, that we forget that they are deeply, deeply connected. We're going to start in Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. I found this week, by the way, in my study, that the Hebrew spelling of Malachi is the way you have spelled his name with a K in there instead of the C-H. The C-H is more of the Greek way. Um, be careful, those of you that are allergic, be careful of the dust when you're turning to Malachi. <laughs> if you don't know where it is, it's right before Matthew, okay? Matthew is the beginning of the New Testament. Malachi is the end of the Old Testament. Um, I, I am continuing to uh, work my hardest to get my, uh, my newest grandson there, Titus, to... Uh, to come to me and enjoy my presence the way everybody else does, but I just keep getting a head wag. I'm going to come, nope, just a head wag. He doesn't have any words yet, so it's a head wag. Last week, Mike Hennessy's holding him, and he's just fine. Yeah, not me. All I have to do is look at him, and he goes, Got a little bit better over Thanksgiving. You know, we were there for a whole day and a half basically together and got a little bit better, but uh, not a whole lot. Getting the head wag from your grandson is like watching a television show and right when you expect that fulfilling conclusion, you see these words. <laughs> oh, to be continued. Oh, don't leave me hanging. You know, now they like to leave you hanging over one season to the other on a lot of the shows. They, they come right up to this dramatic thing, and you think, do they live or die? I won't know until next year. You know, that's how the Old Testament ends. The Old Testament ends on a note that essentially says, to be continued. The story was not over. Look at Malachi chapter 3. Malachi was a prophet who wrote to Israel in the days of Nehemiah, and he wrote to them because they were not following the Lord. They'd been to captivity, they'd come back from captivity, and they still aren't following the Lord. And so part of what God said to them, I, I wanna focus on, because it has to do with the Christmas story. Malachi 3, behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me and then the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to the temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. They were looking for a prophesied deliverer. A, a, the, the Old Testament word is Messiah, the word Savior, or the word Christ in the New Testament. They were looking for this person. God said, I'm going to send somebody, and he's going to make things right. And they were excited about that because they thought that meant they would be completely free as a nation again. They didn't understand all that God had planned. And that's why when we come to chapter 4 of Malachi, God puts it this way. Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. And all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. 
and the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall arise. Do you remember the word sometimes is translated day star? The day star will arise in your heart. That's it right there. The sun of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. That's what I want to be. That's what I am. Verse 3, you shall trample the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in in Horeb for all of Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. To be continued. He said, I'm going to send my messenger. I'm going to send my prophet. I'm going to send that Savior. And if you're wicked, you're going to be consumed. And if you're righteous, you're going to be blessed. And then he says, and before I send him, I'm going to send a guy named Elijah. And they go, okay, we're ready. And the next year, we're ready. And the next year, and the next year, And the next year, for 400 years. I don't know about you, I'm not sure I can remember the TV shows I was watching six months ago, except for NCIS. Other than that. 400 years. And then we fast forward to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And uh, in the first four verses, Luke gives a little introduction, and then he basically says, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you the whole story of Christ in order. And he doesn't tell every single episode, but he gives an orderly account of the whole life of Christ, starting with verse 5. This is where he starts the He starts talking about Christ by talking about somebody else. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, verse 5 of Luke 1, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as a priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. 
and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and they marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them and they perceived he had seen a vision in the temple for he beckoned to them and he remained speechless. So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself five months saying, thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Luke starts right where Malachi left off, and the clue that we have is verse 17. This John, who is going to be born, will go before the Messiah in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father to the children, and so on. When Zacharias heard the word, Elijah. It must have been like the, the switch being flipped in his head to where he went, are you kidding me? He'd read Malachi. He was a priest. He was a righteous man. He knew the Old Testament. He knew that Elijah was going to come before the Messiah was going to come. And this angel is telling me I, my wife is going to give birth to this fella referred to as Messiah. Could it be that after 400 years, God was now going to send the Messiah? Now, we know the answer to that question, don't we? We know the answer is yes, he did send the Messiah. And he sent someone like Elijah to get Israel ready to hear him. What we're going to understand today as we look at this big story of salvation we're going to also learn an important lesson about how God caused that big story to happen. Because the way that God works in the world is always in the big picture and in the small picture. The small picture is most often where we are living, and the big picture is this big thing that God is doing as he was here. That lesson about how God causes things to happen starts with a description of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Look again at verse 5. He was a priest, and you only got to be a priest by birth. There was no raising your hand and saying, God has called me to the ministry. You were a priest by birth into the tribe of Levi and the family of Aaron, he was a priest in the division of Abijah. Look at that in verse 5. The division of Abijah. What is that talking about? The word division is like our military word division, which means a group, a, a specific unit, if you will. 
the, uh, it goes all the way back to King David. You can read about it in First Chronicles, about chapter 24, 25, somewhere in there. And he divided up the Levites and the priests into different working groups. We would call them a shift, you know, a, a working unit, if you will. And there was only about 12 in each one of the groups that he originally started. I don't know how many were at the time of uh, Zacharias. But it was a working group, and they would come to actually work in the temple two times a year for a week at a time. And the rest of the time, they would be out tending their farm or if they had some other business, however they made their livelihood. And so this was in the time frame when he came to serve. Uh, Elizabeth was also in the priestly line. She is referred to as a daughter of Aaron. He, would, he could have been referred to as a son of Aaron. By calling him a priest, it's the same thing. Those are synonyms. But the women, of course, were not priests, but she was connected to that priestly line. And then a very important phrase in verse 6. They were both righteous before God. They were righteous before God. They weren't just righteous before man. You know, you can, you can come into church and people think, oh, you're a fine church-going person. They, you know, according to man, you might look righteous. I'm reminded of, of this scripture from the Old Testament. The Lord, when, when Samuel was out looking for the next king of Israel, God knew who it was, and he was leading Samuel to him. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so when God says through the pen of Luke that they were righteous according to God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances, it means they were exceptional believers. They were exceptionally committed to God. It wasn't, being a priest wasn't just a job to him. It wasn't just something kind of cool to do. He was exceptionally committed to God. They were extraordinary. And, and when, we, when we look at, at, at God's perspective on people, and then we listen to what Jesus said about the, the average religious person in Israel, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching the do as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus could see that the average person in Israel, that's the way their religion was. But these folks were serious disciples, if you will, Old Testament believers in God. The next part of their description is also very significant, as we'll see. They had no children, but they wanted them. You say, well, how do I know that? Look at verse 13. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife will bear you a son. Now, do you suppose he, Zacharias was still praying for a son in his old age? I, judging from the answer he gave the, the angel later, I would guess he'd stopped praying for the son. But he'd prayed a whole bunch earlier in life. It says something about prayer, doesn't it? And then, of course, the, the last part of their description, they were both senior citizens. Okay? He says of himself, 
uh, I am well up in years, or I am old and my wife is well advanced in years. See how diplomatic that is? He didn't call her an old woman, did he? That old woman, she ain't going to have no kids. No. So she's well advanced in years. Did, do you know how old she is, Gabriel? But being childless was not only a heartbreak relationally as two people or as two people who might be parents, husband and wife. It wasn't just a heartbreak like that. It was also a spiritual burden. Look with me at uh, verse 7. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren. Now, in our advanced medical knowledge, we understand sometimes it can be a physical problem with a man that, that, that keeps a husband and wife from conceiving. Sometimes it can be a problem with the women. And we also know that those are medical, physical problems. It's not that they necessarily did something wrong. And, and I'm not taking away from God because God is the one who gives children. I believe that, okay? But in our, in our day and age, we would never look at a couple and say, essentially, oh, you're, you're defective to somebody. But that's a, how the people were in that day. Elizabeth was barren. Elizabeth was barren. Look with me down at verse 24. When she conceived, look what she says. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself five months saying, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. She was well advanced in years and if I would understand the whole scenario as she lived through her adult life, she constantly kept hearing, when are you going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? What's wrong? Hmm, look at her. She's barren. And it was an insult, and it was a burden, and it was an insult and a burden because of an Old Testament promise, Deuteronomy 7. Then it shall come to pass, because you listen to these judgments, and keep and do them, keep the Old Testament law, that the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant, uh, the mercy which he swore to your fathers. And he will love you and bless you and multiply you. That's talking about having children. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your grain, your new wine, your oil, the increase of your cattle, the offspring of your flock, the land which he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all people. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. This was not, keeping the law was not how people in the Old Testament got saved. They were saved by faith in God, just as we are saved by faith in God. But when they, as believers, walked in the righteousness of the law, God blessed their life. That was the agreement that he made with them. Those verses are not for today. When you turn on some of the stuff on TV and they turn to Deuteronomy 7, just stick it in your mind. That is not God's plan and not God's commitment to us today. But it was his commitment to the Old Testament believers, of which Zacharias and Elizabeth were too. And so here she is. Her husband is a priest. 
She is of the priestly line. And according to God, they were genuinely righteous people with no children. And what are the people around her going to say about that? Hmm. She looks pretty righteous on the outside, but must be something going on on the inside. You know what God said. He was going to bless, but he isn't blessing, so something must be wrong. And she calls it a reproach. She lived with reproach. Zacharias and Elizabeth were exceptional followers of God in a day of hypocrisy, yet the common understanding of God's ways with his people left them looking ungodly. They must have felt like this writer of the Psalms when he said, truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as are other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Do you understand what the psalmist was saying? He was saying, I know that God is good to his own people, but when I look around at the wicked people around me, they're doing pretty darn good. And he says, I was envious of their life. I wanted the kind of life they had. Elizabeth and Zacharias must have struggled with that thought. Like Job, they were righteous, yet suffering. But it wasn't a punishment from God, nor a random accident. There was a design to the life of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Look at verse 8. So it was that while he was serving as a priest before God in the order of his division... According to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense. He went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar. Let's ask some questions about this scenario. Why was Zacharias a priest? What? He was born into it. How did that happen? Who caused him to be born into that line? There you go. Why was Elizabeth barren? God. God could have allowed them to have children, but he didn't. He held back. Why were they, when this story is written, why were they past the years of childbearing? What? God! God caused it to be so. Look at this verse. According to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense. The casting of lots would be akin to dice. Okay? And it hails back somewhat to the uh, Urim and Thummim in the breastplate of the priest. And, and, I, and I know we just went three levels below where most of you um, are, are thinking here this morning, but then the breastplate of the priest, he had the stones representing the tribes, then he had this little pocket with 
as best we could maybe understand, black stones and white stones, Urim and Thummim, it literally means lights and perfections. Two different kinds of things. And God used it for discernment. When they came to a point where they had to decide between A and B, the priest would go, if, if it, God wants us to be A, it's going to be Urim. If he wants B, it's going to be Thummim. And he'd pull it out and he'd go, there it is. That's the way we're going. Now, today we call that random. Okay? Is God random? No. And so the same thing was true of casting lots. Uh, it would be a similar, you know, black and white or numbers or whatever it was. We don't know exactly what it was. You remember the, uh, when Jesus was on the cross, they cast lots for his clothes. They, they passed them around, and whoever got the high number, whoever got whatever the indication was, they got his clothes. Okay? It was a way they made choices. They made choices that way about the disciple to take Judas's place. They said, God, here's two guys. And they cast the lot, and the lot fell to Matthias. Okay? And so here is Zacharias. He shows up for his week of priest duty. And they probably had a construction meeting. and I mean, they had a priest meeting in the morning. So you're going to do this, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do this. And they said, okay, who's going to offer the incense? So they, they got the dice out. You're going in, bud. It's you, Zacharias. Now, what's interesting about this, I think John MacArthur summarizes it up very well. To be chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord to burn incense was the highest honor for a priest, other than the high priest who would go into the Holy of Holies. Because of the large number of priests, many would never have had the privilege of performing this sacred rite. And according to one researcher, once a priest had this honor, he would never be chosen again. And so when we read that he was chosen by Lot, we think of this proverb. The Lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So if we ask the question, why was he the one that went into the temple? God. Okay. Do you get the idea God's at work here? He's setting something up. Why didn't God give Zacharias and Elizabeth the usual blessings of life and righteousness, which would have been a child or, or multiple children? The answer is because he had an unimaginably greater blessing prepared for them. He had an unimaginably greater blessing prepared for them. Zacharias and Elizabeth surely knew about the prophesied messenger, the forerunner of Christ, as he is called by many people, this person who would come in the spirit of Elijah. It's possible when Christ actually comes at the second company that Elijah himself will come um, at that point. But they, they would have known about the forerunner. But nobody, <laughs> I don't think anybody in Israel would have gotten married and live their life thinking, maybe the forerunner will be our child. And certainly as Zacharias and Elizabeth walk through their days, and now they're into old age, and they're going, well, I guess we're just never going to have kids. But God had an unimaginably greater blessing prepared for them. God regularly uses ex common people to do extraordinary things which they cannot envision. 
Joseph in the Old Testament. He, he was just the, the, uh, the favorite child of an old man. And when he got sold into slavery, do you suppose he thought, someday I'll be great? Now, I know he'd had a dream, he had a revelation from God, but at that moment, I don't think he was thinking greatness. And even as his days went on, would he ever have imagined, I'll be the number two ruler in Egypt, I'll save my whole family and the nation of Egypt from extinction. He would never have dreamed that. The men who became apostles never expected to be anything but fishermen and tax collectors and such. Saul of Tarsus never expected to be the apostle to the Gentiles. The Philippian jailer never expected to become the guy washing Paul's wounds and then supporting him financially in his missionary work along with his church. Just wasn't in his thinking. Onesimus, the slave, the subject of the book of Philemon, never expected to become a Christian, much less the focal point of a Bible book teaching us about Christian relationships. Clearly, God was at work in all these lives to do something extraordinary, but in ways neither they nor those around them could ever have imagined. And that helps us to understand this truth right here. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Zacharias and Elizabeth were doing exactly what they should have been doing. They were living righteously for God, just as he had asked. Even though their lives were not all they wanted them to be. And one day God came along and said, Now I have a blessing you could never imagine. Is God at work in your life? I won't answer, I'm not asking you to verbalize that, but to think about that, now wait a minute, is God at work in my life? Was God at work in Zacharias' life? Yes, he was. Maybe the better question is, can we possibly see and understand everything God is doing, everything God is setting up? Might there be times when we struggle to grasp why he is allowing certain experiences in our life? Oh, yes. The old hymn says, we'll understand it better by and by. That's true. When we get to heaven, we're going to understand exactly what God was doing. But it's also true that God allows us to understand at times what he has been bringing us through and the purpose that he has been bringing us through to accomplish. Look at verse 13. The angel said to Zacharias, don't be afraid. Zacharias was scared when he saw the angel. We, we don't know why he was scared other than the fact that, number one, he wasn't expecting to see anybody. And number two, apparently angels have a certain appearance that may not just be uh, something easy to look at. Don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink neither wine nor strong drink. That's an Old Testament Nazarite vow. You can look that up later. 
He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to their God. He will go before him, before the Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah, verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how in the world is this going to happen? Brings us to this, brings us to the destination of Zacharias and Elizabeth's life. The, the purpose of this person who the angel said, you're to name this person John. The purpose of John was to introduce Christ. He was the opening act. He was the opening act, and Christ was the headline act in God's next era of working with mankind. Now, I don't mean to be crass or to oversimplify things, but if you go to a, uh, a live performance um, at the Mount Baker Theater or you know, a concert venue somewhere, most of the time there will be a lesser act who gets up front first and sings or tells a few jokes or whatever they're going to do. And the whole purpose of that lesser act is to get everybody's attention. Everybody's kind of settled down and they're listening. And then introduce, here is Mr. Headline. And he comes in and then the, everybody's listening and ready for whatever this person is going to do or this group is going to do. That's exactly what God did with John. We call him John the Baptist later because he baptized people. That's exactly what God was doing with John. Now, think about this for a minute. There was a character in the Old Testament named Melchizedek. And the book of Hebrews says something really interesting about him. He was without father, without mother. He's not saying he appeared miraculously, but he was without father and mother, without genealogy. We don't know where he came from having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God remains a priest continually. God caused this guy named Melchizedek to be born and to live and to go off of the existence of this world in a way that showed a picture of Christ. You see, there's no genealogy, no mother, father, nothing spectacular about his birth whatsoever, and, and boom, there he was. Could God have done that with John? Sure, God can do anything. So God could have gone down to Zacharias and Elizabeth. Um, he could have sent Gabriel down. He could have sent, um, could have sent the pre-incarnate Jesus himself, the angel of the Lord, as we see in the Old Testament. He could have come to them at their house in the privacy of their living room and, and said, now sit down, folks. I got something for you here. And, and he could have said, I don't want you to tell anybody about this. It's just between me and you, and so on. He didn't do that. And he didn't do it for a very important reason. God's purpose for John, God's purpose for John was to get the attention of all of Israel. So God tailored all the events of his life to do just that. God created a circumstance with two senior citizens. The, the birth of John must have been far more attention-getting than the birth of Christ. I mean, here's a, a, again, forgive me, I don't mean to denigrate her whatsoever, here's a young single girl who got pregnant. Is that news? Not really. Not even in that day. 
Here's two senior citizens. The wife just got pregnant. Is that news? That's a miracle there. And we're going to read in a minute about people talking about this. But can you imagine what people would say? Okay, I don't know what, God doesn't tell us their age. I would assume to be well advanced in years in that era was younger than in our era because medicine has made it possible for us to live longer and so on. God created a circumstance with two senior citizens. One of them was a priest who was chosen to go into the temple by providence through the lot. The angel appeared and spoke to him. Get this now. Because the angel spoke to him, he was longer than expected in the temple. Look at verse 21. While he's in the temple, and the people waited for Zacharias, and they marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. Do you know what they thought? They thought we should have put bells on the bottom of his robe. You know, they put bells on the bottom of the robe of the high priest because the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, the, the, the place that, that was the demonstration of God's presence, and they put bells down there so that if the bells quit ringing, they'd know God struck him dead for being unprepared, and, and they had a rope on his foot, and they would drag him out by the rope because nobody else could go in. Now, this fella only went in, into the first, the holy place, you have the Holy of Holies with the Ark of the Covenant. Then you have the Holy Place. So he goes in, and I don't know how long they were in there with the incense, uh, you know, signifying the prayers of the people and so on. I don't know what the normal time was. But he was there longer. And the people outside are going, oh, that don't look good. And you know how long, how long does it take people to start casting rumors I mean, look at the news media today. Well, this might happen and that might happen and we know what the Old Testament said and on and on and on and on and on. You see, even in that, God was getting people's attention. And so he's in there longer and when he came out, they probably went, phew. And then he comes out and they're going, dude, what was going on? And he goes, come on, don't, don't keep us in suspense. And he's going. And then they went, what? Something happened in there. Maybe they knew their Old Testament well enough to remember how it was when a guy like Isaiah went into the presence of God. And he, when he came into the presence of God, he said, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And he was scared and fell down. Maybe they thought, well, he must have seen something bad, you know, uh, Wow, but it got their attention. And so he goes home. And five months later, and you notice his wife is wise. She waits to make sure. Maybe she'd had miscarriages before. She waits, and when she's five months pregnant, she comes out going, who's having a baby in this town? That's right, this gal is having a baby. I don't know what she did, but she wasn't keeping that a secret. After that, and people must have went, what in the world? Wow. Look at verse 57. There's some interspersing in this chapter with the story of Mary and the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth and John. Verse 57, now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered. 
and she brought forth a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day when they came to circumcise the child, they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. That's what you did. Son named after the, after the father. And his mother answered and said, No! He will be called John. But they said to her, There is nobody among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father. By then they learned to you know, talk with their hands. What would he be called? And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, His name is John. If they'd had Twitter in that day, it would have been hashtag, who is John? John. They only named people after people in the family. That's just what they did. Again, people, people are talking. What in the world? Follow it on just a little further. Verse 63, his name is John. Verse 64, immediately his mouth was opened. Five months now it's been closed. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke praising God. Look at the effect, verse 65. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Do you see what a special, unique, unimaginably unique blessing God had for them? But it came through difficulty. And it came even in those five months or, or six, if we count his time in the temple. It came through hardship and challenge and question and, and wonder. And people said, this child, this child's going to do something special. And he did, because one day, this is what happened. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And John himself was clothed with camel hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. John was not eccentric. He was called of God to get people's attention. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, Judea would be like we would call a county today, you know, the area around the town, and the region around the Jordan, all of them went out to him. Do you understand? He was the biggest thing going. People said, I remember when he was born, and I remember this, and I remember that, and that, and that. And now look at him. I don't know what in the world's going on. Here's what was going on. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sin. Malachi ended by saying, this guy is going to get people to turn back to the Lord. And everybody's going out to him, and they're all connecting with his message. 
Maybe they, they referred to that prophecy where the angel said he's going to be like Elijah, and they're going, could this be the continuation of the story? And right when everybody was paying attention, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was, the, that was why he was created. That's why his parents had to go through barrenness all of those years. So that when he said that line, people would go, okay, this must be the guy. God orchestrated the circumstance to make these things happen. God works in his own ways, in his world and our lives to accomplish things that achieve his goals and bring him glory. The challenge for us is sometimes those ways are not what we want. Zacharias and Elizabeth prayed for a son, and it was a godly prayer. There was nothing wrong with praying for that. God answered that prayer, but he did not answer it in the way they thought. If we would have a truly spectacular life, we've got to stop pursuing our best life now and pray for God's best life now. Uh, I have a son, a couple of daughters. I'm proud of them. Love to tell people the great things they've done. Can you imagine being Zacharias and Elizabeth talking about their son? Our son is named in the Bible. And I'm not talking the New Testament. They go back to Malachi. This guy's coming, and, and it was our son. Do you see that? Now, they were godly, so they were probably humble. They probably said it in a very humble way. I think this could have possibly been our son. Do you see that right there? Mm. You see, I wonder if our one of our biggest mistakes sometimes is setting our sights too low. Could we imagine for a moment that Zacharias and Elizabeth made the proverbial deal with the devil and said, we want a son any way we can get him. And they got a son. And God said, you know, I had something really great planned for you. Wow, is that possible? Christmas is a prime time of temptation for setting our sights too low. I want this. I need that. I want a wonderful family to celebrate with. Nothing ungodly about that. I want to get really good gifts. I want to have lots of friends to invite me to parties. I want to have a happy life like everyone else. And yet, what Zacharias and Elizabeth, what they really wanted and what they really had all of their life was righteousness before God, walking in his commandments and ordinances. That's what we've got to want. 
we put up our uh, Christmas tree on Monday. I say we in that kind of spiritual way. <laughs> we put up the Christmas tree. That means I got it out of the storage area. <laughs> and she spent an hour putting all the little branches on there. It's the earliest we've ever put it up, and we did it, uh, or Sue did it, because she wanted Malachi and Kylie to be able to help decorate it on Thanksgiving. We all have many things we want to get done for Christmas. We need a tree, and we need the food, and we need a this, and we need a that, and we need some presents, and so on. I just want to challenge you today. There's only one thing that will make your Christmas spectacular. And that is to put yourself completely in God's hands. Do what Zacharias and Elizabeth did. Just live righteously. Keep praying your prayers. And wait for him to do whatever it is he is doing that you may or may not be able to see today. Heavenly Father, help us. We are limited creatures. We are finite. And it's easy for us to despair when things aren't like we want can't imagine being like Zacharias and Elizabeth going through their whole adult life with no child can't imagine that scorn can't imagine their joy Father we want your best help us to wait for it and to live godly while we're waiting I pray in Christ's name Amen